guys are such a beautiful story of redemption and love and mercy and, and grace. But not only that, you can see the power and the might, the glory, uh, the majesty. Um, Jesus doing for us, Jesus doing for all people, what we couldn't do in our own power. It's beautiful. One of the most popular verses in Scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. He gave the ultimate gift by paying the ultimate price. The ultimate price. Not just dying a physical death on the cross, the one that you heard, the, the agony and the nails and the, the, the scourging and all the things that you heard, but bearing the wrath of God that came against our sin. That's huge, guys, and that's, that's beautiful. And so tonight, guys, he stepped in front of all of this to make a way for you and me to come back to him. And that's why we're here this morning. We're celebrating that together. And year after year, Easter after Easter, some of that meaning can get lost from time to time. But listen, God has, God has sent Jesus into the world for us so that we could live. He rose from the grave, which means he's still living and he's still on the throne. So let's rest in that comfort this morning that God is on the throne. Jesus is reigning in heaven as we speak and let's worship him today as we get into the word, as we're worshiping um, him. And let's just, let's, let's direct our hearts in that direction. I'm not sure where you're at this morning. I'm not sure if you are, are far from God. You don't know who Jesus is. You're here because someone made you come. I'm not sure where you're at, but I pray that God would just shine a little bit of light in your heart today to show you who he is. Because one thing I know based on these verses of scripture is that Jesus loves you no matter where you're at and he meets you where you're at no matter what and so this morning um, as we go into scripture I just want to welcome you this morning man it's so good to see you on Easter it's such a great um, just a great thing to to be able to meet here on Easter morning to be able to celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. My name is Michael Page and I'm, I'm the campus pastor here for our church in Pooler and you know we're here this morning and every week um, every Sunday, to celebrate the good news of the gospel. Not just on Easter, but every week. Every day we're celebrating the good news of the gospel that Jesus died and rose to save us from our sin and from death. And so you can look in 2 Corinthians 5 to find an incredible verse that you, if you understood the, the magnitude of the words on this page, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's a very unfair deal. Can we agree with that? That's an unfair deal on his behalf. Let that sink in. He, God made him who had never known sin, had never been away from the presence of God, had never known ever, any temptation, had never known all he ever knew was the fullness of God living inside of him his whole entire existence in eternity and then, in, then on earth. All he knew was oneness with God. And God put sin in the world on him. And so what better news is that, is there than that for us this morning? That we get to live free from sin. We don't have to live in slave to sin anymore. We don't have to do that. God has made a way. And this is the foundation of my faith, of our faith, that Jesus Christ lived a life that I was unable to live. And died a death and paid a debt that I owed. And that whether you know it or not, that you owed. In our place, in my place, that is the picture of the gospel. 
That's why we must come here and come. That's why we must come face to face with as we come before Christ that, that Jesus took my place. He didn't necessarily do it for me. He was a substitute in my place. He stepped in line for me and took my place. We, he died for us that, so that we could live for him. It's so beautiful so that, so that we could find hope and fulfillment, all that you're ever looking for in him. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. One of the weightiest questions, I think, for us that we'll all have to answer at some point in our lives, some point in your existence, you're going to have to answer this question. You can put it off or you can answer it now. Is what are you going to do with Jesus? Are you going to accept him? Are you going to accept his message, his truth? Or are you going to reject it? It's not truth. There's only two areas that you can do with that. When you hear the gospel, we're faced with a cross, the cross of Easter. We're faced with the cross, and we must respond because not responding is rejecting. We don't get to pass on this response. We don't, we don't get to, and it's not that we're up here making rules, but this is what Scripture tells us, and if Scripture is the authority in life, then this is what has to be true because last week, guys, we talked, if you were here, last week we talked about three questions that we all need to ask ourselves every day, all throughout our lives. The first one is, who do I say Jesus is? Who is Jesus? Was he a great prophet? Was he a good man? Was he, uh, was he the Lord of all the earth? Was he the savior of the world? Did he come and die and raise again? Was he a lunatic? Was he crazy? Was he saying stuff? That, was he a liar? Or was he Lord? Who was he? The second thing is, am I kingdom-minded? Is my life lived on purpose for building God's kingdom? And number three is, am I surrendered? Is my life surrendered to Christ? Is my life surrendered to Jesus? And if it's not, guys, we're going to talk about that. It's good. It's okay to be, it's okay not to be okay in church, believe it or not. It's okay not to be okay, but don't stay that way. But just by statistics alone, I can say in an Easter crowd this morning, um, there's people in this room all across the world that this morning that we came to church because it's Easter and that's what we do on Easter. We go to church, right? We go to church on Easter. We go out, we buy nice clothes and we buy ties and shoes and dresses and bows. And I've, I probably saw 35 bows this morning in the little girl's hair. Uh, we're going to have a bow size competition after this church is over. We, we come here, we celebrate the resurrection. We sing some songs. Um, we hear a pastor talk about Jesus. We, and then we go eat the food and we go hunt the eggs and then we, we just have a big time. It's good. But I just want to stop for a second and just, why are we here this morning? Why? Why'd you come to church this morning? Why? Was it, what, what was the point? Before, before we go any further, I just want you to know that we're glad you're here. We love you and we're glad you're here. And we're not going to ask you to do anything weird. And we're not going to, to call anybody out or, or do anything out. But what we do want, what I do hope, my hope for you guys today is that you'll see Jesus for who he is. You'll see him for who he is. The Savior of the world, the Son of God. So this morning isn't going to be some complicated three-point message. It's not going to be some theologically rich sermon that I usually try to preach the best I can. I don't know how far we get with that, but this morning is going to be the simple gospel, the simple, plain and simple gospel message. Because what I know is there are people in the world, in our country, in our city, maybe in this room that go to church Christmas and Easter. And I'm going to use this opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus with everybody in this room. Can we do that this morning? It's important. Okay. So let's pray together and we'll get going. 
God, we love you. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that we get to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on this day. God, I pray that our hearts would be uh, just energized, Father, with your presence in this room. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through scripture. God, I pray that you would just point out things in our heart that need to be changed. God, convict us where we're, where we're, where we're wrong. God, and show us the truth. God, if there are doubts in this room, Father, if there's, if there's uh, stubborn hearts in this room, if there's unbelief in this room, God, I pray that you would show people the love that you have for them, that the resurrection, the burial, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus was, in, was the greatest act of love in all eternity. And so this morning, God, I pray that you would use scripture, you would use the words of the gospel to, to preach to the hearts of your people. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for all that you do for us. God, it's your name I pray. Amen. All right, guys, if you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, um, it's, uh, turn to Titus. Titus is before well, Philemon or Philemon, however you want to say it, because there's, there's a bunch of different, there's a bunch of different um, ways to pronounce it, and it's right after 2 Timothy. So between 2 Timothy and Philemon, Philemon, we'll get there. We'll, we'll get there. We're a young church. We haven't, we haven't learned pronunciations of the Bible, books of the Bible yet. We're getting there. So Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. Titus 3, chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. We're going to read that together. When you get there, just say, just say amen. Here we go. I like it. Got one Baptist in the room. Here we go. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all things, all kinds of passions and pleasures. Let me stop there. Enslavement means a, is to be, to be sold into slavery. Um, a slave is a person who is, has a legal property of another and is forced to obey them. So we were, we, were in, we were enslaved to these things. We were basically saying we were slave to sin. If, if my body, if I had an urge to sin, by nature, I was going to sin because I'm enslaved to it. I'm, I'm, sin was telling me how to live my life. I was enslaved to it. It says we lived, in a, we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, appeared, he what? He saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, thank God, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. So circle the word heir, heirs if you, if you have your pen, because that's a huge word that we read right past sometimes. But an heir is a person who, legal, who is legally entitled to the property or the rank of another person. So think about it. If we are an heir with Christ, that means we receive everything that Christ received and is going to receive. Think about that first. Think about the implications of that. Let our minds just think on that first. That is huge. It says, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these sayings so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. So this morning, we're going to talk about, and our basis of our conversation is you are saved with a purpose. If you come to Christ, God has a purpose for you in being saved. It's not just like it or not. Us humans, like we're very self-centered people sometimes. We're prideful. But your salvation was never about you. Your salvation was bringing glory to God, bringing glory to him, bringing, bringing him the glory, showing him, that, that he, telling people about how good he is. 
And so when I think this morning, there's two things that I think the biggest miscommunications or biggest misunderstandings in the church today that some of you, um, it might click with and some people might say, I don't know, but we'd love to have those, that dialogue. But the, the first, the two that I have here says, number one is we confuse Christian conversion with moral reformation. We confuse Christian conversion with moral reformation. We say, I'll change my behavior, do good things, then I'll make it to heaven, right? That's what, that's what we may not say that, but it's kind of how we live sometimes. I, I'm, I'm gonna do better. I'm gonna do better. Even people who are following Jesus here this morning, when you sin, when you fall flat on your face, you're like, man, I gotta do like 10 good things before I get that good with God. Don't tell me you never thought that. Listen, we, we, we do that. We're like, I've gotta be good for at least a week before I can hear from God again. I gotta be, that's not what the scripture says. That's not what scripture says. We don't need a behavior modification because Ephesians uh, chapter two, it tells us that because we're, we're dead in our sins, no amount, no amount of religious behavior change is going to fix us. Nothing that you do is gonna fix you. Nothing. No matter how many times you come into church, no matter how many times you go to Bible study, no matter how many times you pray, no matter how many times you, you tell somebody uh, Jesus loves you, no matter how many times you do something, that's not what's going to fix us. Behavior changes only affect the outside of the person or of the thing. They don't deal with the problem on the inside. It's kind of like going into the refrigerator and seeing a piece of chicken that's been in there for four weeks, and you're like, man, I'm going to put some barbecue sauce on there. It might, might spice it up just a little bit. It might be good. No, that's still nasty. Don't do that, okay? It'll still get you sick. It's still dead, okay? And so nothing that you can spice up in your life is going to make you a better person. Jesus is the only one that does that. Jesus called these types of people that they go try to, to try to behavior modify themselves to look better. They call, he called them in the Bible whitewashed tombs. What he's saying is these people are pretty on the outside, but on the inside, there's only death and decay. But it's, we can fool people, but not God in this, in this scenario. And it's not, about, it's not about limiting how much we sin. I'm gonna stop sinning. I'm gonna stop doing this, and I'm gonna stop doing this. And because the, the thing is, whenever you actually, say you stop sinning, say I stopped drinking, and it was nothing, and, and I, wasn't, I wasn't using God at all. I would stop, I did great. Who's the, who's the light on? It's on me. I did something. Because guess what? In my power, I'm going to fall on my face again, right? Without Christ, you, can't, you don't have the power to, to keep it going. We, have to, we, we need Jesus to fix us the way that he's called us to. It's not about limiting how much we sin. It's about growing in the love of God. Because if, if we grow in the love for God, if I love Jesus, if I love the Father, I'm going to honor the Father. I'm going to honor him. I'll honor the Father because, because my love for Jesus is going to destroy that sin. It's going to make that sin less attractive because my attractiveness, my attraction for, to Jesus is way stronger. We need God to change the condition of our heart. We need to change our heart. That's what needs to happen, not behavior modification. He needs to change our heart because we assume, we assume that we're good people that need to be made better. And our goodness is not based on the actions that we, we do good to people, right? Because if that's the case, I can take it back to my ISIS example. You have two guys on the back of a truck. Two, both guys are in the, in, the, in the ISIS club, and they're about to go bomb a school. 
and then they have a sandwich. One of them has a sandwich, and the other guy, he doesn't have a sandwich, and he says, hey, man, take half of mine. That's a good act, right? But does that make him good? No, it does not. Listen, listen. We have to understand that our good things doesn't make us good. Jesus makes us good. And so the truth is that before Christ, we are spiritually dead people that need to be made alive, and only Jesus can do that. We're not, we're not good. We're spiritually dead people that before Christ, we need to be made alive. Look, we can look at Ephesians 2, um, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says this. I'll turn there since it's not on the screen. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. What does it say? You were what? You were dead. If someone's dead, um, am I lost here? Okay. If, some, if, if someone is dead, it doesn't matter at what level they're dead. It doesn't matter if they've been blown up or, or, or drank poison or the, the, how they look. The, somebody that's dead is dead, right? You, the, it doesn't matter how they die if they're dead. Okay, so, okay, we're looking at this. It says, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live. When you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now working in those who are disobedient to God. All of us who lived among them at one, one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So this is why we need to be saved. Can we concur on that? That's why we need Jesus. We need somebody to come in and save us from who we are. That's what it says here. So that's why the word saved is such a good word. You know, I, I, like I told you, I've told you a thousand times, I'm a recovering Baptist here. And so I heard the word saved a million times before I was five years old. Okay, I mean, saved, are you saved? Are you saved? What does that mean, Dad? I'm not, what? And so saved, saved, that's a great word though. Because what better word is going to be its equivalent? I mean, I didn't need uh, to be improved. I didn't need, to, I didn't need a, to be improved. I didn't need to be uh, enhanced. I needed to be forgiven and restored and redeemed and resurrected. I needed to be saved. Sin didn't knock me down on God's JV team. When I sinned, it wasn't like uh, I'm, you got knocked down a couple levels, Michael. You're, you, sin didn't knock me down on God's JV team. It didn't put me on a probation list or put me on a slower track to reach my mansion in heaven. Sin wiped me out. Sin destroyed me. It, it killed me. I didn't need Jesus. I didn't need a Jesus who could come as a life coach who would help me turn over a new leaf. I needed a resurrected Savior who could give me new life. Right? That's why that series we just got out of was called The End of Me. It's talking about how we needed to die to ourselves so that Christ could come alive in us. And so listen to this. That's why this whole answer is this, is, is, is that's what we're celebrating here on Easter, a resurrected Savior. Because Jesus was resurrected, I am able to be resurrected while I depend on him. And so listen, in Titus 3, we were just there. It's uh, verse 5. It says, he saved us, not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy, because he loved us. But this is the thing. A lot of humans read that verse, and in their pride, they say, <clears throat> you know, they, they don't see the beauty of that verse. Not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done. Because he loved us. He saved us through the washing of the rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He did this through the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus' blood, Holy Spirit within us, making us new 
sanctifying us, making us more like Christ as we go through life. Without Jesus, we would have no hope. We're lost. We have no way of salvation without Christ. That's good news, right? Good news. And this morning, guys, you're like, Michael, I've heard this a million times. We're going to hear it a million and one because you know what? The gospel never gets old. The gospel never loses its power. No matter how far you get along in your life, you go back to the gospel because it reminds you that Jesus, what he did for you and what we're supposed to do for others. Only Jesus can give me what I need to make me new, to make something out of nothing, to, to relearn life, to relearn how to walk, to have my little Bambi deer legs trying to, I'm trying to walk through life until I get stronger, until God strengthens my legs as I walk with him. And listen, Jesus is the only one who can take nothing and make something out of it in my life because I tell you one thing is before Jesus, I, I had no hope. I thought I was, I thought I had it together, but whenever I saw when I was, what I did in my life, when I was left to my own devices, I was on my face saying, God, I need you because I can't do this by myself. And that's will or can be anybody in this room. We need Christ in this, guys. Look at the resurrection story. Let's just look at that for a second. God's glory came down and breathed life into Jesus' body, in Jesus' dead body, and raised it from the dead. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? God's glory came down and shook the earth. Can you, I mean, who's ever been in an earthquake? I've never been in one. I'd, I'd like to. It'd be cool, but away from buildings, away from buildings. Uh, God's glory came down and blew the doors off the tomb. It's like, gone. Like the angel sat on top of it and said, that was it, let's go. And so God's glory touched the earth. Every time God's glory touched the earth, every time in scripture where you see Jesus, where the angel come down, you see God, like his presence come down, the earth can't handle it. The earth shakes, the earth moves. There, you look in Matthew 28 too, it says there was a violent earthquake. Why? For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven. We read right past that. Now, I, this past Easter, God was like, look at this. I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. Like an angel of the Lord came, like, an earthquake and the rock shook. And, and we read that like it's some kind of bedtime story. Don't we? It's like, well, I've heard this a thousand times. The rocks, the, the earth shook. An angel came down and, and, and rolled away the stone. God's glory came down and Jesus' heart started beating again. His lungs started working again. His eyes opened and he walked out the tomb so that we could walk out of sin and death. Isn't that good? That's where it said. So listen, he died so we wouldn't have to be enslaved to sin anymore. We could throw off the chains of sin and death. We could throw off the chains of those, that slavery. He died so we can live. And in the same way that Jesus raised, or God raised Jesus from the dead, God wants to revive the hearts of the spiritually dead people in here and in this town and in this world. That's what he wants. He wants us to come alive. People who may be stuck in a, in a religious spirit or, or religious motions and going through the motions, having a form of godliness but denying its power. That's what, first, that's what Paul talks about in Tim, 1 Timothy. Saying you believe in Jesus and he's your savior and not taking steps of obedience is an oxymoron. The, the two cannot be separated. We, we follow Jesus or we don't. We, 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 we have a choice to make in that. We, 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 we have a choice. We do or we don't. When you come in contact with the Lord of heaven, guys, your life changes forever. Your life changes. People know that you've come into something that you, you're different. God, God is changing your life. 
from the inside out, not from the outside in. That's how God works. He works at your heart and works out. But whenever we come in and start trying to make behavior modifications, we try to do better. We're trying to work our way in. That's not how God works. God changes your heart, moves you into action, and changes your life. And so, guys, there is no better way than to see this firsthand in somebody's life. And we have a girl that works on our staff at church in our, in our Dublin campus. And we're going to show you a testimony video here in a second. And this is a story of her life. This is what God's done in her life to change her life. God has come into her heart and moved her into places that she never imagined she would be. It's amazing God, what God's done in her life. And so let's watch this, and we'll come back in a second. We'll finish this uh, little talk. So I'll be right back. As a child, I grew up in a normal household. Uh, it was me and my sister and my two parents. We grew up going to church. My dad was pretty much everything to me. He was my hero. He taught me how to play all the sports I knew how to play. Um, and I just thought the world of him. Things began to go south in our family. Um, and my dad made some decisions that really deeply affected our family uh, and, and really hurt me because I looked up to him. And when I got to high school, I just started escaping. I grew up next door to Billy Shiver and his family, and I would just go over there and hang out with him, um, hang out with his sister. I can remember being at an FCA rally uh, with Billy, and we were both there, and I can remember um, just hearing the message, and I began to feel this feeling I never felt before. And honestly, I didn't know what was happening. I, I, I felt like Jesus was changing my heart, and at the end, the pastor gave a salvation call, and next thing you know, my hand was up in the air, and I received Jesus as my Savior. You know, I, I had this group of friends that I worked with, and all I really wanted was for them to come to church with me. I continued to just ask and ask, and for a long time, I got no response, and then finally, one day, one of them finally caved in, and she began to come to church with me. and. We continued to go, and we were really inseparable for a very long time. Uh, sooner and later, next thing I know, I have these emotions and feelings that I don't, I don't really know where they're coming from. Um, and she's experiencing the same thing. And flash forward, and it's my first homosexual relationship. Neither one of us knew what we were doing. Um, I knew that something inside of me didn't let it settle right, and, and something wasn't right about it. But I thought that the emotions and feelings inside of me were also right. And at that age, I didn't really know how to cope with that. I began to party, I began to drink, and I went off to college. At this point, I was going crazy. I was partying every single day of the week. Uh, Monday through Saturday, we were at the bar. And at Sunday, I'd try to make my way to church just to check that box. So everybody knew, except for my parents, I was pretty much living this double life at that point in time. Billy was at Georgia Southern still, and I can remember him inviting me to Connection Church uh, when it was that little blue building behind Burger King. and. Um, I said, okay, I'll, 
I'll try it. And so I went, and I can remember Brandon, just I've never heard anybody share the gospel like he did. And I never have seen somebody so passionate about Jesus like he was. And so um, slowly but surely, I began to go constantly. And I really quit partying for a while. And I, I told myself, you know what, I'm done with that homosexual lifestyle, and, and I want to follow Jesus. for a little while until Satan placed people in my path and I fell right back into sin. This is about the point where I just hit rock bottom. I just kind of started to believe that that lifestyle was who I was. Um, I, I thought that that was how I was born. I thought, I said all those things um, to really try to justify the lifestyle that I was living. And so I can remember one afternoon, my sister texted me and she said, Brittany, I just want to know the truth. Finally, I got to the place of, I just said, yes, this is who I am. This is, this is the life I'm choosing to live. And, and she said, Brittany, I love you no matter what. I knew in that moment something triggered in me. And when I got back home that day, I prayed and I got my Bible for the first time I'd picked it up in a long time. And I prayed and I said, God, if my lifestyle is wrong, please show me. I randomly opened it up to Romans 1, and I began to read that text, and I got about halfway through it. I closed my Bible. I didn't want to hear the truth, and I'd pray, God, I just want you to take this away from me. I, I don't want to live like this anymore. I am struggling in sin. Like, I do not want to be this person. I don't want to be gay. And... Nothing ever changed, and it took me a long time to realize that I was praying the wrong prayer. I was asking God to change my actions rather than asking God to change the condition of my heart. I can remember Mr. Jeff and Miss Tracy Shiver, Billy's parents, just saying, hey, Billy's playing a church in Vidalia. You should come check it out. And I thought to myself, I can't do that. People know what I've been doing. And then one evening, they were... Uh, meeting during evening services and I decided, I said, Mom, let's go, let's go check it out. And so I remember walking into that service and Billy said, it's okay not to be okay. And that's one thing I always carry with me because at that moment in time, I was not okay. Those messages really hit home for me and, and at that moment, God began to stir my heart. Back in my freshman year of college, I met this friend named Jessica. Me and Jessica, we were friends on and off throughout this whole period of time. I knew that she had struggled with the same sin I had struggled with, um, but she was actually the first person I saw um, God bring out of this sin. We were at a wedding reception, and Jessica was there, and the Lord was telling me to go talk to her. He said, Brittany, go. And I was so prideful at that moment in time, I just didn't want to lay it down. Um, and my pride almost stopped me from going up to her, but I did. And we sat there, and we talked until 2 o'clock in the morning. And I told her, I said, God is dealing with my heart, but I am so afraid to walk away from this life that I'm living. She told me, she said, think about a, a baby deer. She called them Bambi legs. And she said, you're going to walk, but you're going to have Bambi legs at first. You're going to be really wobbly. You're going to fall down. But you're going to have to press into God, and he's going to grow your legs stronger and stronger. And so I said, okay, Bambi legs it is. I was done. I was done with that lifestyle. I was done playing the fence with God. I, I was done hiding. And uh, 
I was ready. I was ready. And so I began to pursue God from that moment on. And at that point in time, Billy talked me into going into a connect group, and I was terrified. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to open up to people. Um, I was just afraid. Uh, but I, Jessica said, you've got to do this. And so I went. I found myself in a group with Kate and Billy. Kate really began to challenge me like I've never been challenged before. And I can remember her calling me one day and said, hey, uh, Connection wants to do a testimony video, and uh, Billy thinks you should do it. And my heart dropped. And I told her, I said, I'm not ready to tell anybody at this point in time. She said, okay. And, and, and we went from there. And so that following week, I showed up at Connect Group, and Kate says, tonight we're going to share testimonies. <laughs> and I thought, I hate you. <laughs> I was panicked. I didn't want anybody to know. There were people in there who I'd been friends with since three years old, and I'd been keeping this secret for eight years now. And uh, by the time it got around to my turn, I couldn't lie. I just knew that I needed to tell them. And so I began to tell this story, and I could feel a weight lift off my chest physically when I began to be transparent with them and be open with them. And that day was when I finally understood the importance of community. I was ready to go and I was just fired up for Jesus again. I was back in a really good place and God just honestly restored me. I just knew that I needed God to just, I mean, cleanse my heart of all of it. And so I got baptized on September 11th, 2015, and I was willing to do anything and everything for this church and, and for the kingdom. I just want people to see that no matter where you've been, no matter what sin you're struggling with, God is able and He is greater than any sin that you may be dealing with, but He's just waiting on you to reach out your hand and take His. Guys, because of the resurrection today that we're celebrating, we all have a story. We don't have a hopeless future because of Jesus. Like Brittany, we have it. We all in this room, me, everyone, we have a sin problem. We all need a heart change. We don't need a behavior modification or to try harder. We need a Savior to save us, change the condition of our hearts. Like the word condition, it means the, the physical state of something. So we need our hearts to be changed from sin and death to righteousness and life. And you have the no power in your body to change your heart into the righteousness and life part. You need someone to do that for you. Only Jesus can do that. In order for, G, in order for God to forgive your sin, in order... For God to give you new life, Jesus had to become sin for you. He had to become death for you and for me and to die in our place. That's what the gospel is, it's substitution. It's Jesus in my place, Jesus in your place. 
2 Corinthians 5.21, we talked about this a second ago. It says, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And I love words. The word be, be, be sin for us. It means more than just taking on my sin or carrying my sin to the cross so that we all like to talk about. All these, it, it means he became sin. He, he took on the ownership, the identity of sin. The creator did this. To do, so just in case, just in case that you might want to come back. We sang a song a minute ago about reckless love. What kind of reckless love is that? Not a sure thing, but to give you an opportunity to come back, maybe to come back. I'm going to do it for you anyway to give you the chance if you want to come back, he made a way. God made him who knew no sin, who had never tasted death. Think about this. He had never tasted death. He's an eternal being, came to earth just to become sin, to become uncleanness, to become death, to die in our place so that we, by faith, can live in him. We can receive power for new life. Jesus in our place. Jesus, guys, while in heaven, you think about it, Jesus before he came to earth had never known what it meant to be apart from the Father. Man, how, how, what kind of day is that going to be when we see Jesus face to face and never have to know what temptation feels like? Hallelujah. Glory. Right. I mean, I'm not comfortable with my temptation. I, I mean, if you might, you know, how awesome is it going to be to never be apart from God, to have that oneness, that fulfillment, that wholeness all the time, not just the instantaneous times we try to spend with God sometimes. He never knew what it meant to be apart from God. And in, in the garden, you see Jesus praying and you see him crying. You see him sweating blood. You, and, and it never made sense to me until this year what that meant, him sweating blood. And I looked it up. I did some studying on it. It's called hematidrosis. And for all you medical people, you can correct me if I'm wrong because I don't know what I'm talking about. But I've read this on, on, a, on a very highly um, lauded website. Okay, okay. Basically, it's a condition when the capillary blood vessels that feel, that feel the sweat glands rupture, causing them to exude blood, occurring under conditions of extreme physical or emotional stress. And so I was thinking about this, and I heard a pastor preach this week talking about this. Like, what's that mean? And so you think about it. He said, I didn't understand it until two years ago. I was on a family vacation in Florida, and we were loading up the car to come home, and I, I couldn't find my two-year-old son. I was looking for him everywhere. Two years old. And he says, goes back, he backtracks back to the room and he says, to his horror, he looks in the pool and sees his two-year-old at the bottom of the swimming pool. He was, he was drowning. And so he rushes in, gets him out, takes him to the hospital. He, he takes him to the hospital, puts him on the, and they, they and he's, he's, he, he's fine. He's still, he's still alive. So spoiler alert. So they put him on the, the, the bed and, and the dad's just like, you know, just loving on him, like just cherishing his little boy. And he's like, and he sees these little dots on him or something on his face or something. And he asked the doctor, he says, what is, what is that? What's, what's wrong with his face? And he said that this is what happened. And could you imagine that little two-year-old boy can't swim in the bottom of the pool, trying his best how to figure out how to get out of this mess? How do I get out of this? Uh, he's just screaming because he, he can't get out. It's, it's helpless. Straight, like It's just overloading him with stress. And you think about Jesus in this moment. Jesus wasn't sweating blood because he was going to the cross. I would be sweating blood if I was going to the cross. But Jesus was sweating blood because he knew he was about to drink the cup of the wrath for our sin. And he had never been apart from, Christ, from Jesus, from God. 
He knew, and it was going to be terrible. And he said, God, if it, there's any way, let this cup pass from me. He said that three times. And at the end of it, he says, but you know what? In the end, your will be done and not mine. That's what's most impressive about this story to me. That he, he went through that for me. And so Jesus, guys, came down from heaven to do this for me, to do what I couldn't do him on. He lived the life that I've always wanted to live. I've always known I should live. But he came, he came and died in my place instead. And then overcame the thing that I was scared of the most, which is the grave. Can we all say that the grave is probably one of the most terrifying things to think about? We all like to talk about Jesus when we're on our deathbed. Who was the first person we call? The pastor. You think about that. Jesus, man, he's, he's so good. He walked into that grave and he walked out. Isn't that awesome? And what did he say? He said, it's finished. Done. There's no more, no more debt. But all you have to do is trust in him. Jesus is the only savior that can do that. Why? Because he is the only one that has ever overcome sin and death. Death is my problem. Death is your problem. Death is the hum humanity problem. It's caused by, by my sin. For someone who's trying to save me, that person needs to be able to overcome the things that I need saving from. Can we agree with that? If somebody's gonna save me, that person needs to be able to overcome the thing that I need saving from. And so the one who wants to be the savior can't have the same problem as the one who needs saving, right? That's where we get problems with trusting because if we don't believe Jesus rose from the dead, then we don't have faith that he can save us. That's where the problem lies in most people. And so listen, every other belief system on this planet revolves around people climbing a figurative mountain to get to their God by doing enough things to work their way up to their God. But I serve, and I hope you serve, the one true God of heaven that came down from the mountain to meet me where I was in my sin to offer me a way back up to him. That's love. That's love. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still in our sin, Jesus Christ went to the tomb as a perfect man bearing my sin, and he conquered it because he's the only one that could do that, what I couldn't do. That's what it means to be saved. And guys, tonight, or this morning in Mark chapter 8, there's a, there's a story Jesus says. It says, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, even for the gospel, will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in this Father's glory with his holy angels. Have you ever trusted Jesus personally as your, as your own to save you from your sin, to empower you, empower you to walk with him? Jesus said, what, what good is it for you to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? We'll say, I'll, I'll get with Jesus later when I'm older. I'll get with Jesus later when I, I need to do this. I need to, what good is it if you gain every single ounce of money that you ever wanted, every single ounce of influence, popularity, Property, 
land, cars, women, men, whatever you're looking for, what good is it if you actually gain everything in the world, but yet come to the end of your life and forfeit your soul? What good is it? All that stuff is worth nothing at that point. And so tonight, guys, it's really simple. If you want to come to Christ, if you, if you realize that this morning that, that you're, not a, a, you're not saved, you may have been living like those Pharisees and what Jesus was calling whitewashed tombs. I look good on the outside, but inside I'm, I'm dying and I need help. Listen, this church loves to celebrate people who go from death to life in Christ. In just a second, we're going to baptize nine people outside. And I would love for you guys to stay around and watch that. Yeah, you can celebrate that. That's good. That's good. And listen, after, right after service, we're going to baptize nine people who have said, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need you. I realize that you're the only way. So I'm going to live my life for you. So that means they've repented. Repentance means I'm agreeing with God. I'm turning from my sin. I'm agreeing with you, God. God, I agree with you. You're Lord. I'm not. I've sinned. I need you. That's what that means. And the second thing you do is you put your faith in him. Faith is such a funny word in the church because you, we have, I have faith that the sky is blue. It's blue. No, that is not what that means. Faith means you put your full weight of your life on something to trust it to support you is what faith means. I'm putting my life in your hands, God. I, I trust that you are the true God. And then last is the hard part for us Americans. We obey. We submit to him and we walk it out because he knows the creator is always more in tune than the created. He knows where to send us. He knows where to show us to go. And it's about being in a relationship with him, a two-way conversation where I'm talking to my savior. He's talking to me. He's showing me where to go. And I'm saying, yes, sir, and I'm going. Because I promise you, in that yes, sir direction, I'm going to find much more fulfillment than I am in my direction. So this morning, guys, if that's you, we have a prayer team that would love to pray with you. If, you, if you've never received Christ as your Lord and your Savior, I just want to ask you to be bold. I want to ask you to raise your hand so we can pray with you. And we want to walk this thing out with you. Is that anybody here this morning that knows they need Jesus this morning? Awesome. That's not you. And you need to revive your heart. You need to come back to Christ. If you've been gone for a while, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to pray. I'm gonna pray. When, you, when I do, you can, there'll, there'll be some prayer team on the side. You can pray with them. Um, then whenever I'm done praying, then we will go outside and we will baptize these nine people who have uh, made this decision. Is that cool? Everybody good with that? See everybody out there? It's gonna be right there. So don't, don't miss out. So let me pray for us and then we will um, we'll go into our next phase of our service. God, we love you. So thankful for your cross. So thankful for who you are, Father, that you lived a life that I could not live. Father, I praise you, God, you're good. There's no one like you, God, and I just wanna honor you in all that we do and say here, Father. Father, I pray for the person here this morning that, that, that may not know you and was nervous to raise their hand. God, I pray that you would work on their hearts. God, I pray that a seed was planted this morning, God, that would grow. Lord, we love you. God, we're so thankful for you. God, we just uh, ask you to just go with us out this week. God, move in our lives. Change our hearts. God, direct us back to you, Father. We just love you and we ask all this in your name. Amen.